0: It's been, a, uh, it's been a good week. It may have been a bad week, but overall, we know that what? God's still God, right? No matter what you're going through, no matter what situation, no matter what circumstance, uh, God's still in control, and uh, I want to make you aware of something that is going to be happening tonight, and it's, it's a part of our culture. It's something that, uh, that we're trying to uh, promote, and uh, we have a... Uh, uh, sort of a get-together tonight for people that are are new to to gateway or if, you, if you've never been to one of these it's, it's called our growth track and uh, so what we're going to do is we're going to come together at five o'clock uh, we're going to just talk about the church we're going to tell you uh, our vision and and how that we ended up here uh, at 444 Blackburn Avenue uh, and how it started way back in 2006 and uh, we'll, we'll go through all of that and uh, then we're going to feed you dinner so it's free dinner. Uh, if you need childcare, we're going to give you childcare, and uh, we just want to uh, be able to uh, on a Sunday morning. Uh, if that's the only time that we that we see you, it's it's hard to just connect. It's hard to uh, to uh, allow you to know and uh, sort of what's going on, and for us to get to know you. So the staff will be here, and it's just a good opportunity for us to to spend a uh, couple of hours together and and to get to know each other better. And uh, because God has uh, has so much more for us. Uh, God has, has more for you. Uh, he wants to do things in your life and, and through you that you can't even imagine. And uh, so I encourage you to, uh, to, even if you haven't signed up yet, uh, you can go to thegate.life, uh, click under uh, next steps, and you'll see the link to sign up. Uh, if you decide at 4.59 that you want to come, uh, or if you decide at 5.15, you can come 15 minutes late, we don't care. Uh, we just want you here, and uh, we, would, we would love for you to be here and, and to join us tonight at 5 o'clock. Advertisement's over. Today we're going to close out um, our uh, series. I'm going to pull my TV out here a little bit. It's been one of those mornings. Some people say don't tell all that you know, but we're just open around here. We were uh, up in the sound booth at at 10 o'clock this morning. And uh, standing there talking, actually, uh, I was talking with Brian about going to two services, and he said, so how are you going to do that? And all of a sudden, there's a countertop from this end to this end with loads of equipment, every bit of it, to the ground. It gave way. So we're sitting there thinking, uh, well, that's good. Computers flying everywhere, uh, but to the glory of God, everything came back on. Now, I'm not saying that there's not some bent plugs, some fire hazards, um, you know, th- equipment without grounds on them now, um, but hey, the microphones are working, the lights are working, and uh, so it's just been one of those mornings, but uh, we talked about a couple weeks ago how the, the closer you get to doing what God wants you to do, the more the enemy is going to fight, right? And uh, so, uh, but God is in control. So today we're going to close out our three-part series that we've been talking about the last uh, several weeks about the book of Haggai. And it's been awesome to hear the testimonies uh, over the first two weeks what God has done in the lives of people. Uh, we've, we've seen people recommit themselves to Christ and, and people decide that, that God was calling them to do more and, and to get busy to work on the things that he had called them to do. And it's awesome that God has used a book written such a long time ago to impact the lives of so many here in 2020. If you missed the previous weeks, I would just want to fill you in a little bit on the backstory so that you're not just coming in in the middle of this series. So just to recap, in 587 B.C., King Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians, they destroyed Judah. They crushed the temple that Solomon had built. Now, this was not only a a physical blow that the city had been destroyed, but it was also a spiritual blow because here is the temple of God, the place where the glory of God and God dwelt had been destroyed. So for five decades after the destruction of this temple, they were taken into bondage. So here they are, and, and after five decades, it's decided that they're going to allow some of them to go back and to start to rebuild the city, and, and to start to rebuild the temple. Now, you can only imagine the excitement after being held in captive for so long, after being in bondage for so long, the excitement, because uh, many of them were old enough to remember what it used to be like. Many of them were old enough to remember the way that things used to be and the, and the, the way that the city used to be and the temple So in week number one, we started talking about how that when they got back, they started strong. They began to build the foundation. They built the altar. But then the Samaritans came and started to give them opposition. And when the opposition came, they began to panic. And they said, we can't do this. I mean, if if we're getting opposition, then, then it can't be what God wants. And so they quit. So at that moment, God raised up the prophet Haggai. And he said, I need you to tell them it's time. I need you to tell them that even though they're facing opposition, it's time. It's time that they start to to build my temple once again. So they started again. And then last week, we talked about how that when they started, they became incredibly discouraged. Because they began to, to look at and they started comparing their start to someone else's finish because they could remember what it used to look like. They could remember the, the way that, that it was so beautiful. And as they began to start, they said, we're never going to get there. We're always going to, will, we will never match up to what used to be. They became discouraged about their lack of prog- progress. And so this week, we want to, to dive into the story and look at Their attitude. You see, we realize that many of them, they battled the same thing that many of us feel. We think, here we are trying to do what God wants us to do, trying to live the life that that God would want us to live. But as we're doing that, things just aren't going so well. You ever been there? It seems like the harder you try, the worse things get. And you look at God and you say, God, we're, we're trying to do what you've told us to do, but we're not getting anywhere. We're making no progress. We're trying to obey you, God, but, but our life, it just isn't working out so well. God, we're obeying you, but, but where are you? Where are the results? We begin to question ourselves, is it really worth it to serve and to obey God? And many of us ask that question today. God, I'm trying to do life your way. I went to church last week. I'm trying, but but my life is it's just still not working. It's not working the way that I think it should work. I have seen this play out so many times in the lives of people that I've connected with. People who have spent years of doing things their way. They've spent years going down a destructive path. They've spent years doing things that, that would be contrary to what God would ask them in ways that God had asked them to live. And, and they, then they'll come to church for a week or two. And they expect that that destructive behavior will automatically be erased. A, a lot of people think, well, you know, I came to church, I, I tried that God thing, I mean, I went to the altar. I said the prayer that he told me to say. I did something, but it's just not working. And you begin to question, is God even real? Is it even worth doing what God would ask us to do? And as we wrap up this final week, this is sort of where the Jewish people were. So here they were trying to build the temple, and it wasn't going the way that they thought that it would go or should go. And so they begin to start to wonder, is it, worth it? is it worth it? You see, it's a problem that they battled with. It's a problem that I have battled with. And if you're honest with yourself, it's a, it's a problem that you have battled with as well. And that is conditional obedience to God. Conditional obedience to God. God, I'm in as long as everything is going the way that I think it should. God, I'll obey as long as it doesn't cost me too much. God, I'll do it as long as as you want, as long as I get the results that I want. But now, God, if it makes me uncomfortable, if it inconveniences me, if you're not doing what I think you should do, then I'm out. It's conditional obedience. It's sort of like selective listening. Anybody, anybody got kids that, that are really selective in their listening? Let's see your hand. Anybody got that? All right. How, anybody got a spouse? Don't raise your hand. Uh, oh, somebody was quick to the trigger. Our daughter was just a couple of days ago. She was somewhere, and we were telling her something. Now, this is, this is great. You tell them something you want them to do. And they'll say, I can't hear you. And you tell them again, I I can't hear you. It's like, well, if you can't hear me, how do you know I'm speaking to you? It's selective listening. Some of us have that skill mastered, especially when the football game's on. We hear what we want to hear, and we're like that with God. God... I'll obey as long as it fits my agenda. We take the, the, the scriptures that we like. We love Jeremiah 29, 11. You know, for I know the plans that I have for you, they're for, for good. They're not to destroy you. They're not for disaster. They're to give you future. They're to give you a hope. Man, I, I love that verse. But forgive my enemies? Pray for them? <laughs> I'm out. Man, I love the verse that says, you know, God works all things together for good. For those that love him, that are called according to his purpose, but but wait until I'm, I'm married to have intimacy with the one that I love. <laughs> Forget that. It's conditional obedience, it's selective listening. I'll obey as long as I'm comfortable. I'll obey as long as what I want. But you see, I've come to realize that, that God doesn't give suggestions, he gives commands. He doesn't give suggestions, he gives commands. And in this passage of scripture, God is getting ready to describe the corruptive power of sin. You see, remember, God's people, they turned away from him. And they started to worship idols. Their hearts were not right with him. So God instructs Haggai to ask the people some questions. In Haggai chapter 2, verse 12, he says this If one of you is carrying some meat from a holy sacrifice in his robes, and his robe happens to brush against some bread or stew, wine or olive oil, or any other kind of food, will it also become holy? The priest replied, No. Now, we read that and we think, well, what's he, what's he getting at? What did he mean? Well, in, in 2020, just to put it in, into modern-day terms, if my hands are clean and I have a, a, a plate that's dirty, if I take my hand and wipe it across that plate, does the plate become clean or does my hand become dirty? I mean you didn't really clean the plate. But if it say it was spaghetti sauce. Your hand becomes dirty, right? The dirty plate makes my hands dirty. And so that's what he's saying here. He's saying that just because that, that when you touch something the power of sin is destructive. In verse 13, he goes on to say this. If someone becomes ceremonially unclean by touching a dead person and then touches any of these foods, will they be defiled? And the priest answered, yes. In these two verses, what is he doing? What is he saying? He's saying that sin spreads easier than holiness. The corruptive power of sin... Paul said it this way in the New Testament. He said that bad company corrupts good character. He didn't say that good company cleanses bad character. In verse 14, he goes on to say this. Then Haggai responded. That is how it is with the people of this nation, says the Lord. Everything they do and everything they offer is defiled by their sin. We could say it this way. When your heart isn't right with God, everything you do will be wrong. Now I can sense some, some pushback there. Is that, can you prove that? I'm glad you ask. Matthew chapter 5 verse 23 says this. So if you're presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple... And you suddenly remember that someone has something against you. Leave your sacrifice there at the altar. Go and be reconciled to that person. Then come and offer your sacrifice to God. What is he saying here? He's saying you're coming to the altar. You're doing what you're supposed to be doing. But your heart isn't right. You're acting out of obedience. But your heart isn't right. And he says it's important. Get up. Go get your heart right and then obey. When your heart isn't right, it doesn't matter what you do. It's going to be wrong. Have you ever had to apologize to someone that you really didn't want to apologize to? And you walk up to them, and you man, I'm I'm sorry. And you just turn and walk away. Or maybe you've had somebody do that to you. And they'll come and apologize, but you know they didn't mean it. Maybe you have two children and, and you're making one apologize to the other. And it's like, I'm sorry. And then they punch him in the nose. And I'm sorry for that too. And then they storm off. It's about our heart. It's about our heart being right. You want an apology or, or you want to give an apology. You want to know that it's, that it's heartfelt. Attitude matters. Attitude matters. When your heart isn't right, what you do will be wrong. And so often it's what we see. God, I'll obey you, but don't really get to to my heart. God, I'll, I'll do what you ask me to do, but don't really look at my heart. Now listen, we do not obey God so that he will bless us. We obey God because we love him. It's out of our heart. That's why we obey. Sometimes we will ask Reese to do something. And sometimes you can tell that she's doing it with the the right attitude. And sometimes we can tell that, that she's obeying, but her heart's not right. We obey God because we want to, to honor him with everything in us. That's why getting our heart right is so important. So God is getting ready in this passage of Scripture to remind his people. He's getting ready uh, to, to get down to the heart of the issue. In verse 15, he says this Look at what was happening to you before you began to lay the foundation of the Lord's temple. Now remember uh, from, from week one, Haggai said this in verse six He said, You have planted much, but harvest little. You eat, but you're not satisfied. You drink, but you're still thirsty. You put on clothes, but cannot keep warm. Your wages disappear as though you were putting them in pockets. Filled with holes. He said, you are consuming everything that you can, and there still isn't enough left over. And so here in in chapter 2, he's saying, look back. Do you remember where you were before you started to lay the foundation? Do you remember that you just could, no matter what you did, it wasn't working out? You never had enough. And so in verse 16, he says this, chapter 2. When you hoped for a 20 bushel crop, you harvested only 10. When you expected to draw 50 gallons from the wine press, you found only 20. You're doing everything that you can do to get ahead, but you simply can't. You can't. Why is that? Verse 17. He said, I sent blight. And mildew and hell to destroy everything you work so hard to produce. Man. Here they are, doing what they know to do, giving it everything that they have, acting as if they're obeying with the right attitude. And God said, you've worked so hard, but the reason that you didn't get ahead was because I didn't let you. Now, can I be honest? I don't like that picture of God. I mean, here I am doing my best, trying to do what you've asked me to do, and and, and God is keeping them from having their crops. What kind of God is that? I mean, is it even worth it? I mean, why would a loving God keep me from having provision? When they were doing everything that they could do to survive, what kind of God is that? Is that a God I want to serve? Is that a God that, that, that truly loves me? Why would he do that? He tells us in the last part of this verse, even so you refuse to return to me says the Lord. There's the reason. God wasn't trying to punish them. He was trying to restore them. He wasn't trying to punish them. He was trying to restore them. He was trying to to bring their hearts back to Him. You see, God may not change your situation because He wants to change your heart. Now, I know that this is is a little tricky theologically. So I don't want you to think that I'm saying that if bad things are happening in your life right now, that you deserve it, that God's sending it. I'm not saying that at all. What I am saying is, is that sometimes God may allow things to happen with the purpose of getting our attention, to draw our hearts back to him. That's what he was doing here. I think back to when I was 16 years old. You know, when you're 16, you've just got high hopes and high dreams. And I had felt that I was, was called into the ministry. It's not what I wanted. I had other plans for my life. I had played baseball from the time that I was seven years old until this point in my life. And and so now, at this point, it's time to to start making some decisions of where I wanted my life to go. And so here I am, playing the good little church boy. Here I am, acting and, and obeying. I didn't cause any trouble. I was obeying with on the outside, but my heart wasn't right. It wasn't right. And there came a point, and if you've been here, you've heard this story, but there it's just part of who I am. It's part of why I'm standing here today. I was on my way home one night from a from the church. I went to the church for a couple of hours, and, and they were having an all-night prayer meeting. Anybody ever been to one of those? I think I'm going to call one. Aaron, you're in charge. But I showed up just long enough to make mom and dad happy. I went over and knelt in the corner, and I don't even know if I really prayed. I may have slept. But it looked like I was praying. I was obeying on the outside. But on the inside, I was saying, no way, God. I'm going to do things my way. No way, God. Baseball is more important to me than anything that you have. I'm I'm okay, God, as long as as you're not calling me to to, obedience of what you want me to do. Now, you're trying to inconvenience me, God. God. I want to be on a baseball diamond, not a stage. And I was on my way home. And I rolled my car over an embankment. It landed on its top. I was, it came right resting beside a telephone pole that I almost hit head on. And here I am. I mean, this car, it was my first car. My grandparents had had loaned me the money to buy it. I was working to pay it off, and it was destroyed. It wasn't even paid for. And I'm thinking, but when I got out, and you you may think I'm just preaching, but I'm telling the truth. When I got out, I took one step. I climbed out of that car. I had no seatbelt on. This was before airbags or any of that. I mean, I'm that old, okay? There was not nothing to protect me except God. And I climbed out of that car, and the first step that I took right at my feet was my Bible. And I bent down, and I picked up that Bible, and it was filled with glass. And at that moment, it was God telling me, Hey, this happened because I need to bring my, your heart back to me. I've got something for you to do. I know that, that, that you've got plans, and, and I know, but, and at that moment, at that moment, I understood that God wanted my heart. Now, there are times that that, that things may may happen in your life that that are just a result of of your spiritual enemy attacking you. And there are times that that the reality is is that that we just live in a sinful world and and bad things are going to happen. So if there's something bad that's going on in your your life right now, I'm not saying that you deserve it. But what I am saying is you need to look at it. You need to examine it. You need to say that, that and understand that there are times when our hearts turn away from God and God may allow something to happen with the intention of bringing our hearts back to him just like he did in this passage of scripture. And what God did in this passage of scripture to me is it's loving. Because he, what did he do? He cut off their supply. He didn't make them sick. He didn't kill their kids He didn't do something cruel. He he just simply cut off their supply. He wanted to get their attention. He wanted them to realize that he was their provider. He wanted them to realize that they needed him. Now, if you think about that, and it still seems unloving to you, maybe think about if, if you're a parent and you've been providing financially for your kid. Maybe they're away at college or something, and, and you've been, but they're rebellious. And so you're giving them money, and, and they just keep spending it on drugs and alcohol and, and things that aren't good for them. As a loving parent, what would you do? You're not going to continue to give them things to allow them to destroy themselves. You're going to cut off their supply. You're not going to, to provide for a lifestyle that you don't approve of. You still love them, you're not punishing in them, but you say, listen, I'm trying to get your heart right. I'm trying to get your heart right. So going back to week number one, God has been so simple in his love throughout this book and to his people. They were like, I know, God, we're supposed to build this, but we don't know how. And so what did God tell them in the first week we talked about? He gave them three steps. He said, go up to the mountain, bring down the timber and build my house. God said, step one, step two, step three. Go to the mountain, bring down the timber, and build my house. The second week, they they started to do that, but they became discouraged. And once again, he was very simple in his instructions and simple in his love. What did he say? He said, be strong in the Lord and do the work, for I'm with you. He said, Be strong, show up, be consistent, do the work. I'm with you. He said, When you're discouraged, be faithful, be consistent. If you want to be successful, be consistent. He was very simple in his instructions and simple in his love. And now God once again has a simple message. Now, just because the message is simple doesn't mean that what he's asking us to do is simple. I mean, choosing the, the difficult right over the easy wrong sometimes is hard. Continue to, to show up and do the work when you're discouraged is hard. And in this text, God is simply saying, I want your heart. I want your heart. More than anything else, I want your heart. I want you to seek me with all your heart. And in this text, he's saying, You used to love me. I used to be first, but something happened. You turned away. You started worshiping idols. I want your heart. I want to be first in everything. One of my life verses is Matthew chapter six verse thirty-three that says, "Seek the kingdom of God above all else, and live righteously, and He will give you everything you need." I want to be first. I want your heart. In Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 13, he said, If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. I want your heart. He tells us in Luke to to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. What is he saying? I want your heart. That's the biggest battle. That's the biggest battle in any relationship. I mean, God's saying, I I don't care if you have a nice house. But don't put your house ahead of mine. I want your heart. I can be so in love and so faithful to God that all of a sudden conditional obedience kicks in. And things aren't going the way that I want them to go. But we don't obey God so that he will bless us. We obey him because we love him. That's why what we do is so important. That's why gathering here on a Sunday morning is so important. Why? Because we're putting him first. Is it hard sometimes to to, to crawl out of bed, to get here by 1045? Yes. Is it going to be hard when we start two services to if you come to the first to get here by 9:30 or if you're working the first to get here by 8:45 absolutely but he wants your heart. He wants your heart. Because once he has your heart he can do great things. That's why giving tithe. Why? Cuz he wants your heart. He wants your best. And it's so easy for for our hearts to become distracted. I mean, as a pastor, it's easy for me to get so busy doing the work. But for God not to really have my heart. I mean, Jesus was quoting Isaiah when he said, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. I want your heart. And I'm afraid that in today's society that that we have an issue with conditional obedience. I'll do this thing as long as it's going well for me. But here's the beauty of this story. God got their hearts. And not only were were they beginning to build the temple, not only were they uh, starting to obey what God had called them to do, but God had their hearts. And because their hearts came back to him, so did his blessings. Not because they obeyed. Because if you remember back in the beginning of the story, they were obeying, but he didn't have their heart. But now, in Haggai chapter 2, verse 19, he says this, I am giving you a promise. While the seed is still in the barn, you have not yet harvested your grain, your grapevines, fig trees, pomegranates, and olive trees have not yet produced their crops. But from this day onward... I will bless you. He said, I promise you, I'm going to bless you. Not because you're building the temple, but because you gave me your heart. He said, I want your heart. I want your heart. There's those of you here today that, if you're really honest If you're really honest, if you're honest with yourself and you evaluate your life and and you look at it and say, am I obeying simply because I know it's what I'm supposed to do or does God have my heart? That's what makes the difference. And if you're really honest with yourself today, God will do a miracle in your life. No one may even see it on the outside. Because on the outside, it looks as if you're doing everything the way it's supposed to be done, but God doesn't have your heart. When I was 16 years old, I looked as if I was doing everything, but God didn't have my heart. I was faking it, had everybody fooled. But when I gave him my heart, something happened on the inside. And it can happen to you too. You may be obeying outwardly, but you could be rebellious, discontent on the inside. God's saying, no more lip service. No more lip service. He's saying, I want your heart. And if you're willing to give him your whole heart because you love him. If you're willing to say, God, we give you our hearts, our minds, our soul, our strength. There are those here today that, that, that you need to return your heart back to fully worshiping God. You were walking down this path and things were were going great, but then you got a little distracted. Maybe you become discouraged. Maybe you weren't progressing the way that, that you thought you should progress. And over a period of time, your heart grew cold. And you're still here every Sunday. You're still showing up every Sunday. When people look at you, they think, man, they've got it going on. But you know in your heart that you're cold, that you're rebellious. God wants your heart. I would love it if I could stand up here and just wave my hands across the crowd and hearts begin to melt but I can't do that just like in this passage of scripture Haggai stood before the people and he said here's what's going on but you have to make the difference it's your decision It's your dilemma. I want your heart. With every head bowed. If you're here this morning and you say, Pastor, I look like that on the outside that everything's great. But on the inside, if I'm really honest with myself, he doesn't have my heart. I'm putting on a show. Think, man, I can't admit that. Listen. wants to bless you with blessings of obedience. When you obey with the right heart. You say, Pastor, that's me. Thank you. I, I need to, t- to give Him my heart. I need to return my heart to Him. Is it going to be easy to admit? Of course not. Nobody wants anyone to know what's really going on on the inside. But God already knows. And He's saying, I want your If you're here today, you say, that's me, just slip up your hand. Thank you. Thank you. as I was preparing for this message you know a lot of times when almost all the time when I'm speaking it ministers to me first and I would love to stand up here and tell you that, that this is just something that just happens to to those people just something that happens to to people who aren't in the ministry but but I want to stand here before you and tell you that over the past year the church has grown we're making changes to to prepare for that to, to prepare for that growth and even more growth in the future and there's this and that, and this needs to be done, and that needs to be done, and this needs to be finished, and, and, and this person needs to meet, and 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 sometimes don't think any less of me, but I can just simply go through the motions. I'm doing what I know to do and what I'm supposed to do, but on the inside I'm thinking, man, not again. But as I prepared for this message, the Holy Spirit said, It's all about attitude. And you know what? He knows your heart. You may be able to fool everybody else, but He knows your heart. Is there anybody else? Pastor, I need to return my heart to Him. I need to change my attitude. Thank you. everybody to stand.